Good morning, everyone. It's great to be with you this morning. Um, if I haven't uh, met you before, my name is Young, pastor here at New Life. I've actually known Alex for quite a long time. Um, I was just thinking about it when he was up here. I've known him since uh, he was, um, how old were he? I don't, I'm not 100% sure, but he was a child, and I was like in my 20s. And you know, I like to believe that we've both uh, matured and grown a lot since then. Uh, hopefully, uh, we have. Um, hey, it's great to welcome all of you guys, uh, especially newcomers as well, uh, if we haven't met yet, and those that we haven't seen face-to-face in a long time due to uh, the ravages of Omicron. Um, I can't believe January is almost over. You know, 2022 is just ripping along, um, and soon we're going to be back together, I think everyone together, uh, face-to-face, in person, with Refine, Friday Night Prayer, and hopefully uh, all of church life uh, together again. Lord willing, we'll be together for WinterCon for the first time in like, you know, 100 years. I don't know how long it's been, three years? Um, We've started 2022 with our sermon series, A Better Life is Waiting. Uh, You'll get pretty familiar with that graphic that's on the screen now. Uh, We're looking at what God is already doing in our midst here at New Life, joining with him in building a new culture together, a culture of grace renewal. So that'll become more and more familiar to you as time goes on. Before I get into the Word of God, how about I pray for us? So if you join with me in prayer. Father, we want to thank you for this morning uh, when we can gather together as a church family, uh, invited into your family by your son Jesus, uh, that we can actually be able to worship you, that we can be in relationship with you once again, that we can be called sons and daughters of the Most High, uh, that we can be brothers and sisters together, God. Uh, We want to thank you, especially, um, as A.B. mentioned during the pre-service prayer time, for uh, our young families that are here with us at New Life, uh, that are watching from home, uh, that are with us wherever they are, God. Uh, We pray, Lord, that you'll be with them, God, Um, even as they make up a minority in our church, uh, that you would help them to feel welcome, and that you would set a new tone and a new culture for families here at New Life, God. Let it be, Lord, uh, that all of us partake in this, uh, in this building of the culture together, God, as we are part of the family together. And we pray, Lord, that you would guide us by your Holy Spirit this morning, uh, that you would give us great wisdom by it, um, that you would just help us, Lord, to know what it is to be a part of this family together, uh, to be changed by you, to be changed by grace being renewed in our hearts once again. Let it be, Lord, that not guilt nor fear is what leads us or what motivates us, but a love for your son, Jesus, and what he's done for us, God. So put in our hearts, Lord, just a greater love uh, than we've ever experienced, a deeper love than we've ever imagined for your son, Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Last week, if you were with us, uh, we ended the sermon talking about why discipleship is worth it. You know, why is it so worth it to actually partake in this thing called discipleship even though it takes up so much time, even though it takes up so much effort. And we talked about how it's because as it becomes part of the culture here at New Life, your children will one day get to experience, get to be part of this community based around grace renewal. Your children. Now this required a lot of uh, exercising of the imagination, you know, particularly for pretty much everyone or almost everyone here uh, that's gathered here this morning because the majority of our congregation is unmarried, The majority of our congregation doesn't have children. But this doesn't change the fact that one big area that we want to grow in here at New Life is in the area of families. 
Now, as we talk about a better life waiting for us, a better life includes a life with families here at New Life. You might be wondering why families, particularly if your family doesn't attend church, particularly if you don't have children, you might be thinking, why are we focusing on families when they make up such a small portion of our congregation here? Well, because families are God's idea. He creates family units, he extends blessings to the families of the world, and he invites us as well to join in with his family. So there's an emphasis clearly that God is trying to get across to us when we talk about families. We saw God's love for families in the way that he gets involved with them throughout biblical history. We saw that especially in the final series of last year, if you go back, Christmas together. He created the first family in Adam and Eve. He chose Abraham's family to bring blessings upon the nations, the nations being the different families of the world. And there's also an expectation for us as his family members to now bless and invite the other families of this world into this family, to bless and invite your friends and family. But what does this mean specifically for our focus on families here at New Life? At New Life, if you've been with us for a while, if you've been with us from even before I've been a part of the congregation here as pastor, the culture, if I'm not mistaken, until now, has been that families haven't been given much visible focus. Is that fair to say? The families have not been given much visible focus. Some of you guys have ex expressed in our conversations together that once you guys actually get married, once you guys have children, you can't see yourself raising the kids here at New Life. Some of you guys have expressed this. Now, a life of faith has been kind of just expected to just continue on with no real consideration given to the fact that there are some big changes that happen to the dynamics within someone. You know, when families experience something like marriage, something like births, deaths, child rearing, all these different things, there's some big changes to the, to the dynamics. You know, the bags under parents' eyes. You know, if you're close enough, you can see the bags under my eyes. The fogginess of our brains. They're not just due to a lack of caffeine, but due to a life change. And we have to take that in, into consideration. I want to concede, while it's true that our lives of faith shouldn't be derailed entirely by the things that we go through in life, never should our experiences in life completely derail our faith. It still has to be taken into account that sometimes what we experience in our lives changes the way that we express our faith. It changes the mode of our expression of faith when we experience God. Sometimes you just face pure physical, emotional exhaustion and you can't be expected to attend every single board game night, every single fellowship experience that we have together. And this all has to be taken into consideration when we think about families here at New Life. Now still, a large portion of our New Life family is young, single, perhaps not even thinking about family life yet. Like some are just thinking about, how do I make it through uni? You know, I've never studied it on my own before without the benefit of a teacher telling me what to do. There's an inherent difficulty in doing ministry or planning events that are inclusive of people in a life stage that you haven't experienced yourself, you don't have first-hand knowledge of. You know, I'm sure fellowship team is racking their brains thinking, how do we minister to the families here at New Life? 
when they haven't experienced family life themselves. So perhaps naturally, the flow of the culture has been that families don't receive a lot of focus. But scripturally, we find in our passage today, in Acts 16, 25 to 34, that the principal people who are ministering to families in this passage, they're not necessarily those that are thinking about their own experiences with their wife, with their children, or anything like that. Paul, who famously said in his letter to the Corinthians, but I wish everyone were single just as I am, yet each person has a special gift from God of one kind or another. He was not a family man, remaining single until the day that he died. We don't know a great deal about the other person, Silas, uh, in this story. We don't know a lot about his family life. It's never spoken of in the Bible. Perhaps we can gather from that that maybe he didn't have family life to speak of. And yet their ministry in Acts 16 was to such a person and to his family as well. So ministry to families is the business of all of new life, all of us. All of new life must be committed to families, just as we're committed to singles, just as we're committed to students, just as we're committed to young workers. Now, observe together with me the passage, how God's salvation visits this household in this chapter, the way God does this, what this might mean for us here at New Life as we talk about culture. As you respond to God's leading, open up your hearts for a culture of grace renewal to shape the way we do ministry to our families here. Okay, so here we go. Let's look at verses 29 to 30. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. He escorted them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved, says the jailer. What's going through this man's head at this point? Try to put yourself in this man's shoes. There's no doubt that he'd heard about these men. If you're familiar with this chapter at all, about why they were arrested in the first place. You know, a few verses before this, we read about this fortune-telling slave girl that's been following around Paul and Silas, just yelling repeatedly for days on end that Paul and Silas had come proclaiming a way of salvation. He's definitely quite shaken up by the earthquake as well, this earthquake that's broken open the doors of this jail, that's broken open the chains. Perhaps he connected these two things together and he was seeing some sort of divine sign, you know, a sign from God that maybe they shouldn't have arrested these men. Whatever the case, he's convinced that Paul and Silas can bring some calm to his heart, release him from fear in his mind, bring salvation, whatever that might look like. So he asks that question, what must I do to be saved? So the two imprisoned missionaries tell him, they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. So it's only faith in Jesus, they tell him, that will save him and his household. Why is there a mention of the man's household here? Why family? Why do they bring that up? If we read on to the next verse, we can see that the word is spoken to the family later on. They gain the benefit of the preaching of the word. But this is really interesting. The promise of salvation is given in advance to the jailer for his family long before they hear the message. Paul and Silas tell this man, your household will be saved long before they hear this message. 
How can they be so confident? So a bit of cultural context here, okay? For the times that this takes place in, because on one hand, yes, this speaks of their utmost confidence in the word of God, in the, in the word of the gospel. But on the other, there's this really extremely interesting contextualized element to their preaching. So in the Greco-Roman context of Acts that we're reading here, there's this idea of household inclusion. Basically, the idea is members of your house are attached together. And so whatever the head of the household decides is whatever the rest of the household goes through. They take on the faith of the head of the household. If the leader of the household decides, from now on I'm following Christ, everyone else is on board too. Now, we're in a much more individualistic culture today where we don't necessarily like to take on the traditions, the cultures of our family members. You know, you kind of rub up against your mom or your dad and you're like, I don't want to turn out like them. You still do turn out like them uh, later on. But you might still see it in more traditional cultures where whatever the head of the family has decided, it results in this united move together with the rest of the household. Neither one's right or wrong. It's just the way that it is, right? It's just culture. Now, I do want to make note of something here, though. In the book of Acts, certainly, the writer, Luke, he talks about the importance of personal faith. So let's not get that you know, twisted up here, but in other places in Acts, he stresses that personal faith is necessary to come to a knowledge of Christ. But this particular time in Acts 16 is really illuminating for us. It gives us much-needed context to what personal faith really is. It's not just personal. Personal faith is not only personal. It's shaped by our surroundings. There's this mysterious element of faith to it as well that's much more than just personal. This is a life-giving message to parents that worry about how their children are gonna end up. Probably one of Bora and my biggest fears is that Jonas will grow up and be like, I hate God. I can't even imagine, he can't talk right now, right? But we worry about the faith of our children. I'm sure your parents, if they are Christians, have worried about your faith as you've been growing up, as you went through puberty, as you still go through puberty. You know, they probably still worry. Yes, there is an element of discipleship involved when it comes to the growing faith of our family members. But even more, we're recipients of grace from a sovereign God and he has a great love for us and for our family members. And this also gives hope to those of us who are still contending in prayer for our family members who don't yet know God. You know, hold on and pray together with the rest of your new life family. We still contend together because we know that God loves our family members. So the passage goes on, if you look at verses 32 to 34, and they spoke the word of the Lord to him along with everyone in his house. He took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. Right away, he and all his family were baptized. He brought them into his house, set a meal before them, and rejoiced because he had come to believe in God with his entire household. A household includes more than just what we think of immediate family. It includes the servants of the house as well. It includes everyone that kind of comes under the head of the house. The jailer uh, washes the wounds of Paul and Silas there since they were flogged in Acts 16, to 23. If you don't know what flogged is, it means 
being whipped to shreds. You can read that part in your own time. And then he, along with all of his family, are baptized. Everyone, all of his family members are baptized. It's almost like there's no choice. Everyone's just getting... One of the early church fathers, John Chrysostom, he summarized it this way. He washed and was washed. He washed them from their stripes and was himself washed from his sins. From there, there's this gift of hospitality that comes. Paul and Silas, prisoners of the state, they get invited into their own jailer's house, which just seems very odd. They're given food to eat. And then the hosts and the guests are united together in rejoicing. Why? Because the jailer, we read, and his entire household had come to believe in God. So everything else gets pushed aside and there's rejoicing. There's breaking of bread together. There's a celebration. Look at the change. This man was ready to take his own life. What a grisly way to go as well. He's got a sword drawn to his throat, ready to just give up on everything. Leave behind his dishonor, leaving behind this world, leaving behind his family. Now he sits surrounded by this family and these two new brothers who brought the good news of God's grace. There's food on the table, everyone's cleaned up, everyone's rejoicing, it's a celebration. And these two men who were imprisoned before, who had been stripped and beaten, whipped across their bare flesh until they bled, they didn't escape at the first opportunity when the jail cells opened. They didn't find reason to curse God in their hardships. No, instead, they glorified God in the gospel of grace. They were praying and singing hymns while they were in prison, back sore and bleeding. They didn't care what the rest of the prisoners thought. They were just singing. And there was something just a little bit different about them. And they ministered not only to the jailer, but to his family as well. After they spoke the word of the Lord to the jailer and his household, everyone was baptized. Why is this so important to us? As a Presbyterian church, we see the baptizing of our children and babies, if you've ever witnessed that in person, which you know, we haven't had a chance to do uh, in a long while due to COVID circumstances, sorry. I know like one parent that's here already. This is one of the best reminders in the church that baptism isn't just a one-person thing, though. Faith isn't a solely individual endeavor. When you witness a child being baptized, you get a real sense of that. The baby, just because he's baptized, isn't gonna raise himself in Christ because he had water sprinkled on his head. He's not gonna disciple himself. No, the family that's a part of the sacrament together, they're meant to be drawn into raising this child with Christ. Togetherness. We're reminded even further, for those of us who haven't had our children baptized, who haven't really connected with what's going on up here when baptism happens, but we're just participants insofar as we're part of the same church together. We're reminded as we participate in baptism together as a church community that it's not just a one family thing either. The church, the body of Christ, this faith family that we're a part of here at New Life, it's meant to be drawn in likewise to raising this child alongside this family in Christ. It's gonna take all of us to raise this child in Christ. 
This is why we're the New Life family. It's more than just personal. We do this life together. The old way might have been fine, but a better life is waiting. Now you must remember this. Faith for most of human history was not individualized. It wasn't just an individual exercise. It's only in recent times in the modern age that we've made it into this ideal of it's just my personal thing. God visits me personally, it's just me and him. All throughout history, it's mainly been seen as a family or even a nation thing. It's been seen as something a little bit bigger than just us. Proverbs 22 reads this, start a youth out on his way. Even when he grows old, he will not depart from it. It's discipleship. We're not just individuals. We don't even start out in this world by ourselves. Our individualism doesn't happen in a void. Whoever you are is shaped by whatever you're surrounded by. We're nurtured by family, we're nurtured by community and society as well. Everything around you shapes who you are. No one grows up alone in the woods somewhere, unaffected by the society and culture around them, undiscipled by our family and friends. You know, recently I was uh, in the car with my mom and we were driving past a shopping place <laughs> and we were talking about this Lego store that opened up nearby. You know, I've seen this Lego store and everyone's just walking around. Like, you go inside this, uh, this place and everyone's got this yellow bag. You know, it's like you can't walk by this store without buying something for your children. And then she started reminiscing. You know, she's telling me about my childhood. She's telling me that as a child, I wasn't really into Legos. You know, and I can remember that. I, I can remember not really having Legos. And she said that I tried my hand at something else called Connects. I don't know if this was a thing here in Australia. It was mildly big in America. She said that I tried this thing, but that I quickly abandoned it when it got too hard. Like, look at that thing. How's a kid supposed to make this thing? It's too many parts. And that's how she knew, she told me this, that's how she knew that I wasn't really a scientific person. And I was like 10, okay? Like, but my parents then decided well, he likes reading books, and so they nurtured me in reading literature instead of science. And so no wonder I dropped chemistry in year 12, right? Perhaps that's telling now that I'm more of a literature person. And it makes sense then for us, New Life family, to cultivate the best possible environment for young families and their children to grow into the knowledge and love of who Christ is. All of us together can cultivate this. I think the greatest revelation that we receive through what we see here in Acts 16 is that salvation is not about what we do. It's about what God does to us. And we see that in Acts 16. The jailer wakes up. He was asleep. He wakes up and he sees what God has done through this earthquake. He's helpless. He has no recourse, he's just gonna kill himself. But he hears from Paul and Silas and wants to know what he must do, knowing they have the word of salvation. He and his household are then told this word, and they become recipients of what God has for them. Like imagine this, this man's in a situation where he's genuinely thinking about taking his own life with a sword, and these people talk to him and he realizes salvation has come. None of this makes sense without Christ. 
We saw a couple weeks ago, grace touches people who hear the word of God. They're cut to the heart, and they must seek to respond to what God has done. And it's only then that a change of culture occurs. Before we respond, we're primarily recipients of God's grace. More than primarily, we're beggars all throughout our lives with nothing that we can offer in return to God. We only have our hands outstretched as we begin to recognize our poor condition, that there's nothing that we can do to save ourselves. We can only ask for help. But the good news is, our God is more than willing to provide this help. But that's not the primary focus for today. Rather, it's a residual lesson. It's something that we can glean from what our focus is to minister to our families here at New Life, to give to those who might not necessarily be able to reciprocate. If you've ever spoken to parents of newborns and then you speak to them a week later, you'll find that sometimes they've forgotten that they've spoken to you. They're really lacking sleep. They probably won't reciprocate if you give them a gift. We can minister to those that are struggling through the welcoming of new life into their families, those who face sleepless nights, the stresses of childbearing, those who are navigating the challenges of two become one. This might be a little bit closer to home for those of us that are getting married or have gotten married recently. They begin to reckon with not only their own sin, but the sin of the one that they love the most. And they find that marriage doesn't take care of all of that. You gotta work on it together. And this might not necessarily be our lot in life for all of us. You know, some of us might very well remain single as the Apostle Paul talks about, and there's no shame in that either. I dare say, though, to minister to these is more of a blessed position. Because we can give then with no thought towards how we might receive back. We can be as the sheep that we read about recently, the ones who would do to do for our brothers and sisters in the Lord, and through that, we might be able to do unto him as well. Why don't we pray together? Psalm 78 reads, my people hear my instruction. Listen to the words from my mouth. I will declare wise sayings. I will speak mysteries from the past, things we have heard and known, and that our fathers have passed down to us. We will not hide them from their children, but will tell a future generation the praiseworthy acts of the Lord, his might, and the wondrous works he has performed. Father, we want to do this. We want for new life to be a place where families are welcomed, where children are part of what we do here, where we can minister in a safe, in a loving way, to the children and the families that are here. Help all of us here at New Life God, whatever stage of life that we're in, whether we're to get married, whether we're to have children, whether we're to remain single, whatever our lot is that you've set for us in our lives, help us to rejoice in these different lives that we lead in our walks of life. And help us, Lord, to celebrate the families that are here. Because Lord, we remember that your own son Jesus looked out at your disciples and said, these are my brothers and sisters, are my mother and father. 
We turn to you, Lord, and we ask, Lord, that you give us a new heart, change by grace renewal, that we might be able to seek a commitment to families here at New Life, that we might one day raise new children and their children's children as well into what we experience here with renewed grace. We want to pray in particular for children's ministry at this time, God. We thank you, Lord, for the many that are serving in children's ministry tirelessly, that are loving our children here, that are praying with them, teaching them songs about God, that are preaching the gospel to them in ways that they can remember, in the ways that they can understand, that are playing games with them, that never seem to have energy that flags. We ask, Lord, that you will bless them. We ask, Lord, that you will give them great wisdom as they disciple our children. And we ask, Lord, that you would teach them and that you would lead them as well, God. And Father, I want to commit to you, all of the members of New Life here, that you would help us, Lord, to recognize what a beautiful family that we have here together. That we can be part of this journey together in discipling these children. But more than that, that we can be part of recognizing that we're recipients of grace from a great God. Be with us, Lord. Help us, Lord, to love you. Help us, Lord, to receive this culture into new life. It's in your son's most precious name we pray. Amen.